Welcome to the Clio for Teachers and Teams podcast. In this podcast, I share practical tips and tricks for implementing Clio into your organization, within your school, or in your lesson. My name is Patrick de Boer, and I'm a Clio teacher from the Netherlands, as well as a Clio teacher trainer and coach. And in this podcast, I'd like to share my ideas and experiences with you in order to get Clio on top of your mind. Have fun listening. Hi there, thank you for listening again. Welcome to this new episode of the CLIL podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time listening to this. I know I said it before, but I really do. I've had some really nice feedback on the on the previous episodes already. And we've only been doing this for, I don't know, a couple of weeks. Um, so, so thank you for reaching out and letting me know what you think of this podcast and if there's anything worthwhile in here. In this podcast, I'm going to share... Well, some experience that said that I've had with colleagues in training sessions, especially ones that were not that positive. But more importantly, I want to talk with you about how I approach that and how you might approach this as well. Um, as you know, you can also read this online on my blog um, or um, uh, listen it to any, well, podcast uh, tool you want. So Spotify or Anchor, whatever. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of these new episodes or sign up for my newsletter so you automatically receive a new email every month um, with, well, this the text of this podcast or the email, the blog post, as well as the link to the podcast. All right. So what I want to talk about with you today is, is well, um, those teachers that say, but I can already do this. I already know this activity. Um, during a session some time ago, um, I was. I started my training session, and then in a, about 10, 15 minutes in, a colleague entered the room um, and sat down without apologizing for being late, not really unpacking any stuff. Um, and later on, when I set the, the teachers to a task to think of an, uh, an application for the activity that I mentioned uh, for their lesson, she didn't do anything. So I walked over and I asked her, um, well, can you please, uh, is there something gone? Is the task not clear? Is there something you need from me? And I was kind of expecting her to go, okay, yeah, I'm sorry I was late, but, you know, there's a good reason for that. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, there was no apology whatsoever. She actually responded, well, I already know this activity, so I don't need to do this. Period. Um, and I um, could probably have, you know, go into a discussion with her. But her whole body language was showing me that she was not going to do anything for me during that training session. Um, only, I don't know, one hour, hour and a half in, there was a topic that apparently triggered her. And she all of a sudden um, started sharing her information and her approach and her ideas, um, stating basically that she knew how things worked. And that she knew it better than everyone else. And this is the way that she was going to work etc 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 when i discussed this with her superior because i didn't really like her attitude um her superior said well i am sorry that's just the way she is and that triggered me that is something that i felt a bit sorry to hear because it doesn't make sense to me uh, for a couple of reasons and those are the things that i want to talk with you about today 
because I think this happens in, in more sessions. Maybe you recognize a team member who has sometimes a bit of a negative attitude or maybe you ha have uh, teachers in your team that often say, well, I can already do this or I already know this and are not that open to suggestions. Or um, you as a teacher have a colleague who is like that and that way has quite an impact on the way you collaborate. Or maybe, and this is a tricky one, you recognize yourself a little in this, um, thinking, okay, maybe you know, I'm 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 a bit too critical on things that are going on. So I want to talk with you about three questions that, well, I personally raised when this when this happened. The first one being, what would you say to students if they behaved well unprofessionally, and their response was, well, that's the way I am. Um, if I have a kid, you know not really behaving very well and they would just say well that's just that's just me i can't help it i obviously wouldn't expect uh, ex um, um, accept that so that's something that i want that's the first thing that that will raise my eyebrows the second one uh, the second question that that i thought of was what was the way she acted this colleague acted about the what does it say about the way she teaches um because in my opinion teachers are a role model um, so if this is what you show to students as being correct behavior, what kind of impact does that have on the, on the students? And thirdly, what kind of influence does this one colleague have on the feeling of being a team, being open to learn, being ready to learn? And I'm not saying in any way that you should, all, that you should not have any, uh, you cannot be, um, 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 you cannot provide any feedback on, on someone who teaches you something, right? Um, I'm always open to feedback and if there is someone who says, well, I expected this and you didn't quite do that, then I talk about, okay, so so what else do you need so I can help you with that? You know, so there's always, of course, it, it's, it's hard to please everyone, but it doesn't mean that you should always be in that closed up mode. Um, so the first thing that I said, what would you say to students if they behaved unprofessionally? As I said, I, I correct students in class if they are unprofessional. Maybe I'm a bit naive, but I actually think that um, students should be raised to be respectful um, and if they are not respectful in my class I correct them and I don't care if that's what they are how they are or, or what they normally respond like but in my class I expect certain things of them well, one nice example I think that shows that respect can go in, in, in that respect can be really formed in different ways is the, the way that they talk about teachers in the Netherlands um, it, it's common to say sir or madam or whatever. Whereas in the more Northern European countries, my experience is that teachers are often called by their first name. And when, I, when we had colleagues over from, I believe it was Denmark, they were a bit surprised that the students all said sir and madam to us um, as teachers because they felt that created a bit of a distance and it might harm the relationship if you have that bit of a distance. And it was a surprise to me because I never never looked at it that way. I don't think there's a distance between me and my students because they have to call me sir. Um, I do feel it creates a bit of a respectful way of communicating. Now, I'm in no way saying that the students from Denmark were not respectful to the teachers. They absolutely were. It's just that, you know, it, it's, it's what I'm used to. And I expect that of students. Um... Another example related to this topic is that I once trained um, a, a teacher in training, so a, a student 
who we become a teacher, and I provided him with quite a lot of professional feedback, and he took that really well, and he realized that the feedback on his professional way of working was not me criticizing him as a person in any way, which is something students sometimes find challenging, right? They find it difficult to distinguish their actions and their persona, so they feel maybe a bit offended if you correct them. This 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 um, student, teacher in training, um, didn't do that at all. And he took it really well, and he ended up being a friend of mine eventually, and actually become a really good teacher. Um, despite the fact that I provided him with quite some feedback, but I did it respectfully, and I think that's very important. So if you show that in the way you act, um, I don't believe that, that, well, this is the way I am, is a good argument to, to, to use. Um, two, as I said, students reflect you. I think teachers are a role model, and I also think students are mirrors, if you will. Um, I once heard the exp I what I also once heard the comparison to students being bloodhounds. I think that's a bit of a negative way of approaching things. Um, obviously, um, I know what why people would say that. It's especially when I just started teaching. That was something that I heard a lot. Um, um, saying, well, if you're you're a bit not, if you're not confident enough, they will smell the blood and tear you apart. You know that like that. That's not really positive. I think. Um, I do think they are mirrors in a way that they mirror what a teacher does. The way that I teach is pretty much the way that I host this podcast. So I speak fast. I might deviate from the topic every now and then. Um, I might improvise. Uh, I might get a little distracted by things. That's the way I teach, and that's just the person I am. Um, so that's... Well, that, that's what students see and that's what they mirror. So it's very unlikely they will be silent the entire lesson because I'm not. Actually, I get really nervous if I have them being, you know, work in silence for 10 minutes. It's often me who, who starts talking within those 10 minutes because I just can't stand the silence. Um, as really, I, I need those timers in my lesson more than they do. So that's something that, you know, that, that's what I am like. It also means that sometimes it can get a bit too crowded. If students get a bit, well, let's just call it too enthusiastic. I realize that they are mirroring my behavior. So what I do is I stand back, stand still, lower my voice, lower the speed at which I talk. And if I do this, and I just, you know, say a couple of words or a few sentences, almost instantly... Students, well, almost all students, there's always one who doesn't, but, you know, that almost all students will immediately, you know, copy this, well, energy, if you will. I'm not a big fan of those, those you know, of, of, of that kind of approach, but the point is that they will reflect your behavior in a positive and in a negative way. So being aware of that and showing them what is expected of them in the way you act, I think, is, is, is really important and it's not a bad thing per se. I'm not the most Zen teacher around as long as I'm aware of that. And I teach them certain ways to coping with that. Um, yeah. So thirdly, team process. How does this one person affect a team? And I want to share a story with you about me being in a training session years ago. And it was that all the teachers of the school were there. And there was, we were split up in groups, and there was one teacher that I was really 
hoping would not end up being in my group. Because as soon as he would join my group, I would feel reluctant to speak up or give my opinion. Because I knew that person would always have an opinion, often negative, and I would just not feel free to, to speak about what I wanted to say. That person would actually probably be very negative about the training, where I, well, I thought it was quite a nice training to follow. Just the thought of him maybe joining my group, you know, already, well, gave a bit of a negative impact, if you will. Uh, so, so just having that person around already had that influence. And that is the impact of having one of such person in your group. That is the impact one person can have. That is the impact you as a person can have in a group. And I would suggest, let's turn this to the positive way. Right. Of course, there. Are, I'm not saying you can't be, you know, as I said earlier, you can't say, well, I'm not really a fan of how this is going, but always try to be constructive. So one way to tackle this problem is, is something that I'm going to do next time I'm going to visit that school is sit down with this person and talk with her about it, because it might have to do with wrong expectations. It might have to do with um, feelings that she already knows it all. And then I can explain why I don't think that's the case, because. I've done quite a few CLIL training sessions for teachers who are quite experienced, sometimes even beginner CLIL training sessions, and I was a bit amazed those teachers were in there, but they always walk away inspired because they always hear new things, maybe an activity that they already knew, but in a new context or a new approach. Um, I use CLIL activity, the same CLIL activities quite often in my lessons because, you know, you all have your own favorites. And the students know that it, it notices it's quite a different context all the time. So it doesn't really matter. Actually, I think, you know, a bit of recognition there isn't a bad thing. Um, so that's something that that I just wanted to give you there and, and make you think about. Okay, so what's your role within a CLIL training? Are you one of those that just is open-minded to new things and might really like learning new things? Or is it something that... Um, well, you have a bit of a more closed mind to think, well, this is not for me. And that's perfectly fine if at that moment in time it's not for you, but then speak up in a, in a respectful way. Um, concerning clear teachers who are really experienced, I completely understand teachers might be a bit reluctant to, you know, follow a clear beginner's course. Um, and I'm not saying you should do that. I think it's better to follow a more advanced course. But it doesn't mean that you cannot ever learn something new. Um, just like you don't learn a language by just listening to it, you also don't learn CLIL by just listening to it or reading about it. You learn it by experiencing it. That's why I always try to practice what I preach during my training sessions and make sure that teachers experience what it's like and maybe even an activity that they did in the past but stopped doing, which is something I often hear teachers say, you know, oh, I did this before, why did I stop doing this? Or something that they read about and, and thought about implementing but never really did because they didn't know exactly um, how to do it in their lessons or something they have done before but just never in that context. A nice example of that is that teachers um, often when they, they have a listening test or something like that they or, or reading a text they have guiding questions to, to help the students go through the text or listen to, to whatever is being said. But they never use that activity when they give the instruction themselves which is something I often do. I just give my students a series of questions they have to answer while listening to me. You know, so that's that's the same activity, but in a different context, um, a different procedure, if you will. So that's that's just some ways that you can actually use those basic little ideas and implement them and use them in a new setting. Um, I hope this was useful for you. 
if you feel like this is really useful, please share this podcast with other people, subscribe, etc. And if you feel like it might be interesting to, to talk about me training some of your teachers, be sure to reach out um, um, uh, through my website. I'll put the, the, the contact form link uh, in the podcast notes. Um, let me know what you think of this podcast, wherever you, you listen to this. And I look forward to hearing from you and we'll talk to each other again next week. See you. Thank <laughs> you.